Now please take your Bibles and turn to the prophecy of Zechariah. And tonight we'll be considering chapter 4 of the prophecy of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 4. Listen to this. This is the very word of God. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on the top of it and seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands also shall complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees, which are beside the two golden pipes, from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Thus far the reading of God's word. Now let's ask him to bless it to us as we consider it together. Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and light to our path, and may it be so tonight through your spirit and his work, Lord, in us as he illumines to our hearts the word that he breathed out. And we pray this all for the glory of Jesus Christ and in his name, amen. Some of you may be familiar with the, uh, the coffee maker produced by the uh, manufacturer Bun. Uh, they have one that's called the Bun Poromatic, and they call it the Poromatic because you, know, you plug it in and it's got a reservoir that heats up the water, and then you pour fresh water into it, and it pushes the hot water out of the reservoir through the coffee grounds and makes you a nice pot of coffee. 
Well, there's another version of the bun coffee maker that you don't have to pour coffee into. It's a per more permanently fixed machine. You put it on a counter somewhere and you can hook it up to a water supply. And so there's never any need to pour water into it because the water just comes right out of your, your water source. You just push a button and it brews up the, the coffee for you. Uh, we have one uh, of the former type uh, here in our, uh, in our fellowship room and uh, we used it this morning during the uh, meet and greet for Nick and made several pots of coffee with that. Uh, but again, with that first version, you have to pour the water in. With the other, the water just uh, uh, is on continual supply. You don't even have to, to fill the coffee maker with water. And <clears throat> that relates a little bit to this passage from Zechariah because there was a lampstand in the tabernacle of God that was uh, the, the design of which was given to Moses and it was built by Bezalel and Aholiab and the people of Israel and they built the tabernacle for the first time in the wilderness. There was a lampstand there and it had seven lamps on it. And it was the job of the priests to go in and make sure every day that those lamps all had oil in them so that they can continue to burn. But what we have here in, in Zechariah's vision is a lamp that does not require fuel from man. There is no requirement that priests go in and put oil in these lamps that they might continue burning because there are these olive trees on either side and they continually provide oil into the bowl and the bowl continually provides oil for the lamps. So it's kind of like those two different models of coffee maker in a way. Um, at the beginning of this vision in chapter 4, the interpreting angel woke Zechariah up. I wondered if, uh, if maybe the reason he had to wake Zechariah up is because remember at the end of chapter 3, there was this beautiful, comforting vision of prosperity. And the Lord of hosts said, everyone will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. There's this picture of prosperity. It's a picture of peace. And maybe Zechariah was contemplating that and just drifted off in this wonderful meditation on the beauty of that scene. And then the angel comes and has to wake him. Or maybe it's more of a picture connected to what we heard about again this morning. Uh, it's a representation of the fact that sinners in their natural state are, are spiritually uh, asleep or, or worse yet, spiritually dead. And it's the Holy Spirit who has to come and awaken us. And so what the angel does to Zechariah might be a picture of that. Our need to be awakened from sleep, to be awakened from the dead. But in any case, the interpreting angel wakes Zechariah up and directs his attention because there's another vision. He's already had several. There's a new one. And Zechariah is awakened to see this vision. And this vision teaches us that it's the Holy Spirit who does the work of building God's kingdom and who empowers the work of God's people. That's the point of this whole vision. The Holy Spirit does the work of building God's kingdom and he empowers the work of God's people. We'll look at three points this evening. We're going to look at the menorah. We're going to look at two sons of new oil and we're going to read about and consider success for Zerubbabel. Um, so first of all, the menorah. Zechariah is awakened. He's asked by the angel, what do you see? And he sees this vision. And he 
tells the angel what he sees. He sees a golden lampstand, and the Hebrew word for lampstand is menorah. Uh, so when you, uh, if you, if you got any Jewish friends and they celebrate Hanukkah and you, you hear about or uh, they talk about the, the menorah, it's not that it's, a, it's just the word for lampstand. And that's how it appears in the Hebrew uh, scriptures. So he sees this menorah, and there's a bowl on top of it. And that bowl, of course, is a reservoir for oil to keep the lamp burning. And it has seven lamps. And seven, of course, is the number of perfection. So it's not by accident or just convenient uh, that, that there are seven uh, lamps on it. It's a, it's a symbolic number, the same way that back in, again, chapter 3, verse 9, <clears throat> It spoke of a single stone that the Lord was going to set before Joshua the high priest. And that single stone had seven eyes. The number is meaningful. It's significant and symbolic. So this is what Zechariah sees. And uh, if you've ever read this passage, or even as I was reading it this evening, uh, you might be wondering, well, what does this all mean? What, uh, what's the significance of it? What does this all represent? And if you're wondering what it all means, you're not alone. Zechariah wondered the same thing. And he has to ask the angel, what is this? What are these? And he knows what it is in terms of what he sees. He, he described it himself. So he's asking, what's the significance of this? What does this represent? And it the angel seems a little bit puzzled that Zechariah doesn't know. Seems surprised that Zechariah doesn't get it. And it might appear to us as we read through this text that the angel doesn't give the answer right away. So when you look at verse 6, and you're expecting the angel to explain the vision, we get this. Verse 6, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, and, and so on and so forth. And it might initially appear to be a tangent, like the answer is delayed. Now, God, of course, as he gives us information, as he answers our inquiries, uh, you know, he's certainly entitled to, to hold back the answer for a little while if he wants. And, and it, some people even think that, that that's sort of what the angel's doing. He's waiting. He's making a statement first, and then he's going to explain the vision, but I'm not so sure. I think it actually is an explanation of the central message of the vision that we get right there in verse 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Those are words of encouragement to God's people because they had this project before them in the days of Zerubbabel, in the days that Zechariah prophesied, in the days of Joshua the high priest. And the project before them was to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And their resources to do this project were very limited. They were an impoverished people. They were a ragtag band of, of exiles returned to the land, population, just a fragment of what it had formerly been in the old days. They were weak. They faced opposition of various kinds. All manner of discouragement lay before them. 
And when the Lord says to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, he's saying, I am going to bless this work. So you press on with it. God says to Zerubbabel, and through him to all the people, I am going to bring this to fruition. It will be completed. And not through your resources, not through your power or might, but by my spirit. Now we do get a more direct explanation of the lampstand, and that comes in verse 10. At the end of verse 10, if you look at that with me, uh, these seven, the angel tells him, the interpreting angel says to Zechariah, these seven are the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. Now, seven lamps representing uh, the eyes of the Lord. Uh, There's similar symbolism found in uh, Revelation chapter 1. When when John speaks of how he saw, or he he spoke of uh, seven spirits before the throne of God, grace, mercy, and peace to you from him who was and and who is and who is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, he says, And you're thinking, seven spirits? Well, the number seven, again, is the number of perfection. It's the number of completion. And so the seven spirits, which are before the throne of God, uh, collectively are representation of the Holy Spirit. Representation of his, the fullness of his ministry, the, the, the array of gifts that he gives to his people, and so on and so forth. And so, since we can interpret seven spirits before God's throne as being the Holy Spirit, the seven lamps here, again, seven there represents completion. It symbolizes perfection. And so, this, these seven lamps are a depiction of God himself casting light upon the whole earth. And before him there are no dark places. It's a reminder. It was a reminder to Zechariah. It's a reminder to us, even today, that God sees all things. There is nothing hidden from him. I think of Psalm 139. Now, David is meditating on the fact that with, with God day and night are the same. It reminds me of the words of one of my favorite hymns in our hymnal, which is a metrical, poetic version of portions of that psalm. If deepest darkness cover me, the darkness hideth not from thee. To thee, both night and day are bright. The darkness shineth as the light. That's what this lamp is symbolizing for us. We read in John chapter 1. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Seven lamps. Perfect light. It's also described as seven eyes. These seven are the eyes of the Lord. Again, in terms of Language of completion, language of perfection. It's speaking of God's omniscience. His omniscience and His omnipresence. I'm reminded of God's omniscience and His omnipresence oftentimes when I'm in this building throughout the week. Because you may have noticed, every single room in this facility has cameras in it. 
You know, so if I wanted to smoke a cigarette or something, didn't want anybody to see it, there's no room I could go to in this building and not be found out. I don't smoke, but anyway. Um, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the wicked and the good. That's what these seven lamps symbolize. They're the seven eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. Nothing is hidden from God. He's watching over his people. He's overseeing guiding and blessing the work of his kingdom. That's comfort for us because he's overseeing, guiding, and blessing the work of his kingdom here and in Stuttgart and in all the earth, wherever his people are ministering his word, wherever his people are worshiping and serving him. Nothing escapes his watchful eye or his sovereign care. So that's the menorah. Now then we've got what I've said, what I've called in the outline, two sons of new oil. I don't know if you looked at the outline in advance, uh, and if you did, I don't know whether that kind of perplexed you a little bit. But Zechariah, in addition to seeing the lampstand, he says he sees two olive trees, and one's on either side of the bowl, or either side of the lampstand. And the angel doesn't initially give an explanation as to what those are. And so Zechariah renews his inquiry. He goes back to the angel again and asks another question, verses 11 and 12. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered and said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? And just like the, in the previous question, the angel seems a little surprised that Zechariah doesn't get it. At least that's the way it comes across to us. But the explanation of the two olive trees is found in verse 14. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. All clear? Well, maybe not, but uh, the two anointed ones, first of all, if you were, uh, if you were at prayer meeting a couple of weeks ago, uh, when I dealt with the title, the, the, the title of Jesus, Christ. Now, Christ is the New Testament equivalent of the Old Testament title, Messiah or Mashiach. You know, the word Messiah that we know, the, na- or the, the meaning of the actual title is anointed one. And so, so many times in the Old Testament, when you read of the Lord's anointed, including when it applies to Saul, when it applies to David, and in other cases, perhaps sometimes the priests, you're reading the word Messiah there. But that's not the word that's here. When Zechariah Chapter 4, verse 14 says, uh, these are the two anointed ones. It's not the word Mashiach there. It's a different word. And it word, it's uh, literally, we could say, it's two sons of new oil. One translator translated it oily ones. The, uh, but the point of this, because they're anointed, what that means is that they're God's servants. They're God's chosen and ordained servants. But that still leaves us a question, doesn't it? Uh, doesn't it leave you wondering, well, who are they? What are they? Well, <clears throat> when people attempt to uh, interpret these two 
anointed ones as two actual individuals, they usually end up assuming or, or interpreting them to be um, uh, Joshua and Zerubbabel. Those were the two servants of God at the time. You had uh, Joshua, who was the high priest, and he was certainly anointed because he always anointed the high priest for office. And then Zerubbabel, even though he wasn't king, he was a descendant of David, and he was the governor of the people there in, in the land after they'd returned from exile. So some people said, okay, those are the two anointed ones. Um, others have suggested, kind of in keeping with uh, Revelation 11, that the two anointed ones were actually Zechariah and his, um, his uh, co-prophet Haggai. Um, because in, you know, in Revelation 11, you've got that vision that John saw of two witnesses, right? And they, they have great powers, and some have equated those to Moses and Elijah. I think we get into trouble when we try to interpret these two witnesses, these two anointed ones, that is, in Zechariah 4:14, 4, as actual individual people. And I think we run into problems. There, there are all kinds of difficulties with attempting to identify them with individuals or people contemporary to uh, Zechariah. So let's dig a little deeper and see if we can come up with a, maybe a better explanation. It says that these two anointed ones do what? They stand by the Lord of the whole earth. In other words, they stand in His presence. They serve in the courts of the Lord. And the word there in the Hebrew that's used in verse 14 to say they stand by the Lord or they stand by. Zechariah uses the exact same word in the previous chapter two times. Verse 4, where he says, uh, the angel said to those who were standing before him, same word as in today's text, and then down in verse 7, where he says, uh, if you walk in my ways, keep my charge, I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. So in just the previous chapter, Zechariah has used this term twice to describe not human beings or not ordinary human beings, but people who are standing in the presence of God in his heavenly courts, you see. So I think it's very likely that this reference in verse 14 is to something greater than individual persons. And just as I don't think Revelation 11 is describing kind of a reapparition of Moses and Elijah, <coughs> it's actually a symbol of God's enduring witness in the world and God's sufficient witness in the world because there's two of them. And in Hebrew uh, court, Hebrew law, every fact had to be established by the mouth of two witnesses. And so two witnesses are sufficient. Just as God's word is sufficient and God's word is enduring. So I think uh, these, these two anointed ones refer to the witness of the Holy Spirit in and through the word. So you have these olive trees and they're continually supplying oil to the lamps. And that's a symbol of God's faithfulness to bless his advancing kingdom and to bless the labors of all those who are invested in the work of the kingdom. It speaks of the work of the Holy Spirit through the means of grace. 
not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The Holy Spirit does the work of building God's kingdom, and the Holy Spirit empowers the work of God's people. And this passage uh, gives a great message of hope because it promises success for Zerubbabel. And that's our final point. Look with me again at verse 7. After that great passage of not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. The Lord of hosts says, Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. God's going to grant success, in other words. He's going to bless. He's going to enable the people to triumph in their efforts. He's going to give success to Zerubbabel, his chosen servant. And when he speaks to the mountain, that mountain, whatever it is, simply represents all the opposition that seems to be standing in the way of the work of the Lord. God had called the people to do it. He had commanded them. If you remember what we read in Haggai, God very firmly commanded the people, get to work and build my house. And they didn't seem to have all the things that they needed. And there seemed to be a lot of opposition and difficulty. That's the mountain. And that's the immediate application of it. But there's broader significance to that too. Because the work of God's kingdom, the advance of God's kingdom faces obstacles seemingly mountainous in proportion, even today, doesn't it? There's always difficulties before us as we seek to advance Christ's kingdom, as we seek to do the work of the church. But God is going to grant success. He says in verses 8 and 9, Zerubbabel began the task and he'll see it to fruition. Verses 8 and 9, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Many were discouraged about the work, but God promised them success. He had given them a command to do something, and he was going to grant what he had commanded. And this fulfillment, did you see this? the fulfillment of this promise from God was going to come in the near term. This was not something for the far-off future. This is for the people of that day. This is something that Zechariah would live to see, something Zerubbabel would certainly live to see. He was going to bring forward the top stone, it says, with cries of grace, grace to it. The, Lord were going to, the people were going to call upon the Lord to bless this house when it was completed. Zerubbabel himself would complete the project, not all by himself, of course, not literally by his own hands, but he was the governor who was going to oversee and supervise and superintend the completion of this great work. And it would come in authentication of Zechariah's ministry. You remember in Deuteronomy how God gave the, the, the litmus test, how you could figure out if a prophet was truly speaking from the Lord? Well, the test was, if what he says comes to pass, he's a true prophet. And so when this completion of the new temple came to pass, that was going to be the testimony that Zechariah was authentically a servant of God, sent by him, anointed by the Lord to proclaim his word to the people. 
And there's this word of assurance to those who are despondent in verse 10. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Uh, in the ESV, it's translated as kind of an address to uh, or speaking about uh, people who despise the day of small things. But really, it's, it's actually a, a question. It's actually a challenge. Who has despised the day of small things? And he says, you're going to rejoice. You will see. Probably many were discouraged. The circumstances were certainly discouraging, but God says, you'll see. And what are you going to see? You're going to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. In other words, you're going to see the wall, the building, the structure of this temple coming to completion, and Zerubbabel up there with the plumb line checking it to make sure it's perfectly vertical. This is like at the finishing stages. And so what you see here is this constant, not contradictory, but complementary reality of the fact that God calls us to do things, but the power to do them always comes from Him. We see it with Zerubbabel. Because God says, His Word says in verse 6, Who are you, O mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain. God's going to use Zerubbabel. But Zerubbabel can't go and beat his chest and say, I did it. Because then God says, not by might, not by power, by my spirit. Now these olive trees continually filled the bowl with oil. The bowl constantly supplied each of the seven lamps so that they burned continually without needing to be filled by man. And this is a visual depiction of of that utterance, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And this is a faith principle that applies to everything that we do for the kingdom of Christ. Everything in the Christian life, every facet of it. The word of Christ's kingdom only happens by Christ's spirit. That's a big takeaway for us. That's maybe the takeaway for us tonight that we need to keep in our back pocket and remember all the time. God sends people out to go and to do, but we mustn't put our confidence in our own efforts. We mustn't trust in our creativity. We mustn't put confidence in our own smarts. We must not trust in political powers or human expertise or material wealth. The Lord of hosts says, not by these things by my spirit. Another word of application. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. We read that command in the New Testament. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Carry it with you in your hand and in your heart. And when I say in your hand, I mean take your Bible with you when you go places. And when I say in your heart, I mean meditate on it. Memorize it so that you've always got it. And then you'll be like that lamp with the olive trees constantly supplying oil to you. And the Holy Spirit continually empowering and fueling your work for, for the Savior. Another word of application. Take comfort in 
and draw confidence from God's omniscience and his omnipresence. The lampstand. (coughs) It's a reminder that God is constantly watching over you. He loves you, that he cares for you, he's with you, and he knows all of your needs. And finally, Christ is in this text, you know. Zerubbabel is a type of Christ. And when I say he's a type of Christ, what I mean is he, he prefigures Christ. He symbolizes Christ. Because here in Zechariah, the Lord says, a great mountain will become a plain before Zerubbabel. But Isaiah says, comfort, comfort my people in the wilderness, prepare the, prepare the way of the Lord. Before him, every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground will become level and the rough places a plain. Matthew Henry wrote, Christ is our Zerubbabel. Mountains of difficulty were in the way of his undertaking, but before him they were all leveled. Nothing is too hard for his grace to do. So through his Spirit, Christ himself brings dead sinners to the new birth. He indwells us. He strengthens us. The Holy Spirit empowers the work of God's people. He enables us to overcome the tempter, to fight the good fight, to run the race that's set before us. So let's do that, brothers and sisters, not by might, not by power, but by His Spirit. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, give us greater measures of Your Spirit. Help us to labor diligently for you, help us to do all the things you've commanded us to do, and we pray that what you command, that you'd grant through your power, through your spirit.